0: Thank you for joining Vertical Church Online today. Pastor Brian will be talking about the weed of people-pleasing and how that can choke us in our life. Here's Pastor Brian with a message.
1: I struggle with pleasing people. And all throughout the day, my mind is constantly focused on what I say, and what I do, and how others will perceive me. And when I do, I am choked.
0: You know, uh... I've talked to you before about our online audience. You'll hear us welcome every Sunday, those who are our online viewers. And uh, I've mentioned to you that there's a group in Montana at a boys' ranch that's watching. And I've mentioned James and Lauren Dillon is the couple that's there in Montana. Well, this morning, they are here with us today. James and Lauren, y'all come over here for just a moment. I want everybody to see your faces. Let me see one of those microphones, if you don't mind. Take one of those. Awesome. So uh, a series of events that they hadn't planned brought them here this, this week. Um, death of a, a family member, tragic. And so uh, we had funeral services Friday, and uh, the Lord has been at work in spite of uh, tragedy and loss. But I wanted you to get to see their faces, because um, they see our faces a lot. We don't always get to see them. And uh, Lauren? Lauren? You want to say something?
1: Sure. <laughs>
0: I didn't ask James because I knew James yeah. didn't. Thanks, so sir. say something, Lauren.
1: Well, something.
0: There you go. <clears throat>
1: so um, I'm Lauren, and we have Turning Point Behavioral Academy in Montana. Um, we're so grateful to be able to turn you guys on on Sunday and just get the message and and spread the word. and plant the seeds, and our boys learn about Jesus, and it's because of Brian, and we're thankful, and we're thankful for all of your prayers.
0: Yeah, so So tell them how far away it is to, like, the nearest Walmart.
1: Anything? Okay, so Walmart is probably two hours, two hours in the summer. In the winter, it's much longer. Yeah. Yeah. So and Starbucks, no. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And they don't deliver to your house or anything, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's um, actually
1: closer to go to Canada. Yeah. And shops. Okay.
0: Forty five minutes up the road in Canada, we can go and get yeah.
1: We're actually the last street in America. A thousand feet. Wow. So we can a thousand feet the border. Canada.
0: Mm-hmm. So if we got in a car this morning and started driving, 30 how hours. thirty hours? Thirty hours and forty seven okay. minutes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so how close to nearest church?
1: I, I think their, their chapel of praise is 25 minutes. Okay. 25 minutes in the summer. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. It used to be on the West Kootenai. It was a little bit different.
0: Okay. I don't know they, what that means, but that's no. fine. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> a little different.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we're glad that y'all can be here today. I know the Lord has... Um,
1: let me just say something real quick. Though. Okay. The churches there are different.
0: Okay. There is
1: no... Better? Oh. <laughs> wow. All right. Here she is. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say that the churches there are a little bit different. Grace-based is not a term there. It's, it's very um, religious and rules and da-da-da-da. It's,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not home. It's not here.
0: Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. We're grateful y'all are here, and we're grateful. Yeah, thank y'all. All All right, very good. I want to remind us of something that we say here often at Vertical. and has been a key point in this series for us, that God is in the process of changing every one of us, right? He is actively at work. He is so massive in scale that there is nothing outside of his reach or knowledge. The vastness of the universe, I have to believe, is a picture of his vastness, and he created it so we would know just something about how big he is. And there's no part of it that is outside of his reach. There's no part of it he can't get to. There's no part of it that he says, oh, wait a minute, it's going to take me a little bit to get over to there. He is intimately involved in every aspect of the full scope of eternity. He's also completely aware of what is happening in every part, as though it were the only part. He is also completely aware of everything that's happening in your life right now. He knows every bit of it, and he knows every one of our stories completely, beginning, current, to end. And he has known that about every person that has ever existed or will exist. This is just something of the vastness of our God. And he is so loving that he is actively at work in your life, wanting to set you free from your shame of the past, your guilt for your sin, all the conflict that keeps you stirred up, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the pressure, so that you might completely trust him. And here's what fascinates me, as if all of that didn't. He knows how to arrange every event person and circumstance in your life to help you see just how good he is and to use that to shape you into the image of his son, Jesus. So he is actively at work in my life. There's no part of it that is accidental. He's actively at work in your life from that side of the room to that side of the room and to down the road out in the community. He is actively at work. Don't fall for the lie that would tell you your life is random, your life is controlled by someone else. God is in control of your life. Whether you are a believer or not, he is actively at work to introduce to you the greatness of who he is. And along the way, He will deposit truth and grace into our lives in this process. He'll introduce a scenario in your life that happens at work or at home, in school, wherever you might be, and it'll bring you to a place where you'll be frustrated, where you'll be at a point of need, and it'll be just the right moment for him to come along and say, now here's what you need in this situation. It'll be him, and he'll deposit like seed into soil exactly what you need. Jesus said our hearts are like soil, and it is our role to be a soil that will receive what he says, to not resist, to not discount, and to not be so distracted with other things that when the seed falls in, and begins to grow that we ignore it, downplay it, and move on to other things. But boy, that happens, right? Hello. Anybody else have some weeds that grow in your life from time to time? Yes, that's me. It's so easy to get distracted, get caught up in other stuff. Jesus called it the, the cares of this world. Man, it's tough. I mean, I get it. I live it. God gives you a word, a truth, a principle, and you're believing it. You can't see it in its reality yet. And then all of a sudden, something comes along, and it just feels like it just blindsides you all of a sudden with life. And in that moment, you get caught up in believing what you see instead of what he said, right? And boy, if your heart is like mine, you'd need him to come in and pull the weeds from time to time to get rid of some stuff that just has gotten in the way. Because when those weeds grow, when we give them our attention, and we neglect what he's doing, we find ourselves choked. We find the cares of life overgrowing, overburdening. We overthink them, overworry them, and they become what we are consumed about. and We find ourselves choked. So we've been in our series called Choked. We've been looking at how this happens in our life. And we've looked at some kind of real-life examples. So we've talked about some different vines or weeds every week. And it was interesting, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about honeysuckle. And everybody loves some honeysuckle, right? It's actually on the invasive vine list, though, that can be pretty destructive. So Heather's dad, um, he listens to the messages. He's the pastor that I had growing up. And uh, he had planted some honeysuckle in his backyard some time back. And it began to grow, as honeysuckle does. It's one of those things, after a time, you don't think about. You just go on with life, and you do your thing. Oh, it's pretty. Smells nice when the wind blows in the spring. Lovely, all that kind of thing. And he decided recently, I should probably check out that honeysuckle. (laughs) Went out in his backyard, started looking at it, and thought, oh, whoops. This has really kind of overgrown the space. This is really starting to cause some trouble. So he started the process of removing the honeysuckle. He got called out of town. Heather and Truett went over trying to finish and did finish the job. But I want to show you a couple of pictures of what the honeysuckle looked like when they took it off of the wooden fence. See, it became this giant, tangled vine mess. It was causing the, the fence, the wooden fence, to begin to rot. It was inviting in all kind of insects and small animal life, and it was taking over the yard. Grass wasn't growing in that area. That's what happens sometimes when you let the vines grow, when you get distracted, when you forget about what it is and you let it grow in your life. Truett took a picture of one of the vines up close, kind of measured by his finger. Who knew? Who knew honeysuckle could get that thick? That's a pretty serious vine right there. But it had, and it had overtaken the yard, overtaken the space, and it was time to get it out. If you let things just go, if you give them your attention, if you neglect what God is doing in your life, the vines will take over what's happening there. We've looked at how some vines like envy, jealousy, comparison, can be like a vine that overtakes our heart, and we have to do the work of removing what controls us and focusing on what God is doing in our lives. It's not an easy process. Heather's dad started the work, worked for some time out there, had to go out of town. Heather and Tritt went over, did some of the work, and they say, Yeah, we spent a couple hours over there today. I'm like, Really? Did you finish? no, we have to go back tomorrow. Really? They go back, work some more, bag it all up. Said so by the time they were finished, they had eight of those giant leaf, you know, lawn bags set out by the road filled with all of that stuff. It had really taken over. It had choked his fence, his yard, and that space that he has there. So today I want us to talk about one of the choked vines that can happen in our heart. We've talked about envy, jealousy, greed, comparison. Today, we talk about the vine of people-pleasing. It's one of those things that can invade our heart. And at first, it seems so simple. It seems so innocent. It seems like one of those things you can manage. You know, I can do just a little bit of this in my life, and surely it won't be that big a deal. Surely it won't cause any problems. But the vine of people-pleasing happens, and it grows in our life when all of a sudden we choose to become fascinated and interested in what people think about us instead of what God thinks about us. When that happens, when you become far more concerned about what someone's going to say about you, think about you, if they're going to laugh at your jokes, if they're going to think you're cool, if they're going to accept you, if they're going to welcome you, Or if they're going to reject you, if all of that becomes more consuming to you than what God says about you, you may have the vine of people-pleasing growing in your heart. And that can be dangerous because all of a sudden you become more fascinated with what the people at work think about you than what God thinks about you. You find yourself saying some things that you might not have ever said before, because it's what the people around you say. And you change how you talk. You change what you do. You change your habits to fit the group that you're with. You find yourself acting this way with this group, this way with this group, this way with this group. And all of a sudden, you're have not you not even sure anymore who you are. You become more concerned and worried about what people think about you, so much to the point that you can't even really relax in a social situation. You can't relax when you're with other people because you're so consumed with, I wonder what they're thinking about me right now. I wonder what they're saying about me. Everything becomes about them, and you can't find any peace, confidence, or rest in your heart because the vine of people-pleasing has come into your heart, it's taken over, and you've found yourself choked. The Bible has something to say about people-pleasing. It's in the book of Proverbs. Or Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man or people-pleasing brings a snare or causes a trap. If you live to please people in your life, if you become consumed about what other people think about you more than what God thinks about you, you're going to find yourself in a trap. And a trap works like this. It offers a promise of something and then gives you something completely different. It offers a mouse some cheese. It doesn't offer it a hamburger instead at the end. It offers them death. It offers blood squirting. It offers a trip to the trash can. That's what happens. That's what traps are for. Traps offer you one prize, and they give you something completely different. Traps offer you more money. In the end, they cost you more money. Traps offer you acceptance. In the end, they end up taking away your own soul. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. It takes you down this path where you really thought you were going to be more secure because people would like you more. You thought you'd be more happy because you'd fit in with a certain crowd. You thought you'd be more stable because you were accepted, and you find out the complete opposite is true. Today, we're going to look at the story from the Bible of some real people who experienced real issues, who found real hope through what God offers them. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 12 today. It's the Gospel of John, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you've got your Bible app, you're welcome to use that. It's in the Gospel of John. We're in the 12th chapter. Let me give you a little bit of setting for where we are. So we are kind of just past the midpoint of Jesus' ministry. And as Jesus' time and ministry on earth are moving along, he reaches a point where it becomes popular to be a Jesus follower. I mean, there's a lot of them. He shows up in a place and crowds, woo, they're all there. They've heard the stories. They saw the miracles. They've seen some of the people who've been changed by some pretty miraculous events. They've heard the stories. They've known someone and they've all gathered. And they've all followed Jesus. And it's kind of popular. When we get to chapter 12, the tide is beginning to turn. You see, there have been some who have begun to plant some seeds of doubt into the crowds. There have been some who have begun a smear campaign to try to discredit Jesus, and it's working. They are showing up at events, whispering in the crowd, asking questions of him just to put him on point, to try to humiliate him, to try to embarrass him, to try to discredit him before people, and it's beginning to work. It's beginning to work in the crowd, it's beginning to work because people are not so certain anymore about they want to take this step. People are beginning to pull back. People are beginning to be a little bit more skeptical. People are beginning to question all of this. But it doesn't deter Jesus one bit. He's not one who is affected by pleasing people. He continues on even when things are not going like he thought or they thought it might. His followers thought it might. He knows exactly where it's going but his followers are a little bit concerned about the path that the whole ministry is taking. Numbers are shrinking. Problems are beginning. John chapter 12, people are beginning to question following Jesus. It's beginning to cost them. They could lose their social standing. They could lose their job. They could lose friends. They could be excluded from family. They could be arrested. And it becomes a people pleaser's nightmare because they want to follow, but they see what it costs and it gets tough. This is what's happening in our story today. Jesus is pouring himself out in spite of all of this. John 12, beginning in verse 37, Jesus is doing miraculous things and it says, but although he had done so many signs before them... They did not believe in him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being there when water is turned into wine? Can you imagine being there when one who's been sick is all of a sudden well? Can you imagine being there when one who is blind can now see? Can you imagine being there when a few fish and a few loaves of bread feed an entire multitude of thousands? Can you imagine seeing all of that? And still at the end of the story say, I don't know. I just don't know about all that stuff. I don't know if I want to you know, get into all that. I don't know if I can believe all of that. This is what's happening. There are some who see it. The miracles are happening right in front of them. Jesus is talking to them. They have seen it all. They've experienced it all. And they still say, I just don't know about believing that he is really the Son of God, and if I should really give my life to Him. Jesus says, or the passage says in verse 40, John quotes something from the book of Isaiah, and he says, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. John quotes this passage from Isaiah, and he says, This is what's happening. John says, This is what's happening in our day. People are watching, but it's as though they are blind. They just they don't see it. They're looking, but they don't see it. They're, they're perceiving it, but their hearts are not understanding it because they have hardened their heart. They have taken the soil of their heart and they have just hardened it to the point of, I've been hurt. I've been burned, it's been terrible, I don't like people, I don't trust anybody, and the soil has hardened, firmed up, they're angry, they're bitter, they've been through a lot, and they cannot receive what Jesus is having to say. And John says this is exactly what's happening in our day. Truth won't penetrate, his love can't penetrate because they have resisted, they've hardened their heart. And in spite of all of that, you read in verse 42, and we're going to walk it forward from here, beginning of verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. John says, you know, there was a lot of people who didn't believe. They rejected, they resisted, their hearts were hard. But John said, you know, there was a group Even among the religious leaders, those who hated Jesus the most, those who couldn't stand him, those who plotted against him, those who showed up at events to try to discredit him, even among those, John says, there were actually some who believed. They said, you know, we do believe he is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. He is the only one who can bring us forgiveness. He is the only one that offers hope. He is the only one who is merciful. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He is the one. They believed. And it says many believed. What's fascinating to me is what happens next. It says, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so among the rulers who were religious rulers of the day there were those who taught in the synagogue there were leaders then there were those who were the pharisees these were the ones who were trained in the law these were the ones who served as rulers and leaders among the people and they set the pace they controlled who came in who went out they set the standards And this passage says that even though there were some among the religious rulers who believed that because of these Pharisees, there were some who did not confess him. In other words, they never said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the way. I believe he is worth following. I'm going to follow him with my life. They had belief here, but they could never say it here. It was something that was quiet and still and deep inside, but it was never something that they could take outwardly. It was something they chose to keep private. They kept on doing their work in the synagogues. They kept on doing their work with the Pharisees, and they did not breathe that they believed. Believed? Not confessed. Internal, not external. Small growth happened, no fruit happened. Because, this verse says, because of the Pharisees, because of some people, because of some people who were popular, because of some people who seemed to sway the crowd. Because of some people who seemed to have control over who was in and who was out. You ever been in some groups like that? I remember it in high school well. You know, there was the group of jocks. There was the group of the, the country western, you know, cowboy dippers. Right? Yeah. There was the, the rocker group. Right? There were the band nerds. My group. There were the academic elites. I couldn't fit in with that group. And they all sat in their spots in the lunchroom. And you, you had to really work to get into those groups. You had to dress like, talk like, be like. And they had their own kind of you know, informal initiation patterns as well. If you wanted to get in, there were certain things you had to do to fit into that group. And you think, yeah, that's just so high school hey, that stuff happens today. Hello, does it not happen at work? Is there not groups? Those same groups, if you look, you just see them. They may all have their business clothes on, but you know, you know who the rockers are, right? You know who the country western dippers are. You know them all. You know who the nerds are. You know who the brainiacs are. They're all still out there. They still happen. They happen in in cultural groups. They like to set the tone, For what's in, what's cool, who gets in, who is cool. And here in this day, John says there were some who were part of the elite. But they came to believe in Jesus, but they just couldn't ever say it because they got afraid of what might happen to their status. They didn't want to get cast out of the crowd, They didn't want to lose their cool status. They didn't want to lose their badge. They didn't want to lose their their front. They didn't want to lose all the supposed respect that they had. Because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. It goes on, it says, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Man, I can't dare say anything about believing that Jesus really is the Son of God. I mean... I might lose my status. I might not have the, I might not fit into the crowd anymore. I can't dare let on that I like to listen to him on podcasts. I can't dare let in that I actually believe what he's saying. I can't dare let on that, you know, I don't go like I used to go. I don't do like I used to do. And I don't like to talk like I used to talk. In fact, they tried to cover all that. They still tried to fit in. They still tried to do like everybody else. They didn't want to lose their status. They didn't want to lose their position. They didn't want to lose what they thought they had. Verse 43 says For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You talk about one of those verses that just penetrates the story and says, here's what it's all about, and the, the verse, the point that perhaps today sticks the closest to home for us, people pleasers love what others think about them often more than what God thinks about them. It's a dangerous root. It becomes a vine that will overtake our hearts. I want to to talk to you for just a moment about what are some ways you can know if this is what's growing in your heart. How do you know if you really are a people pleaser? The first thing is this. You will have different versions of you for different people. You will have crafted in your mind and perfected in your life Who you need to be based on who you were hanging out with. You'll have different versions of you. And each version has crafted itself to be like those that it's around at the time. You have the cool you, you got the work you, you got the hang out with the boys or hang out with the girls you. And then you got that other you that goes out and does what it wants to do. And then you might even have another you in there that is maybe even it's the the Jesus version of you. And it gets a little confusing at times because you have all these yous. You got you, 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 you. And for whatever situation you're in, you, you change. You, you're like a, a chameleon. You conform how you talk, what you do, and your habits for that group. The other thing you do is in those situations, you pretend to agree with everybody in that group. One group gets together and they're all talking about some subject. And you're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And Emily, you're like, mm I, I don't agree with that at all. But you're too afraid to say it because of the group. You're too concerned about what they're going to think about you over holding true to your convictions. So that's the first one. You, you have different versions of you for the different people that you hang around. The second one is it drains you trying to keep up with all the different versions of you. It just wears you out. It becomes emotionally draining, physically draining, and after being out with some people in a day, maybe it's even different groups all in one day, you come home like, whoo, wow, I've got to sit down. I am absolutely worn out. And your wife says, What'd you do today? Oh, I was just with people at work today. It's like, wow, really? Maybe it's vice versa. Maybe it's the woman and the guy's asking. It can happen. When you are so concerned about what everybody thinks about you, you are continually on edge, emotionally, mentally, and even physically. You just find yourself tense because you're just worried about what someone's gonna think about you. And it absolutely drains you. And you actually have trouble keeping up with what you told this group that's different than this group that's different than that group. And that's part of what wears you out. You want to make sure you don't cross stories here. And so, what it does is it produces this, this general level of worry, anxiety, and fear. We call it social anxiety today, but much of it is rooted in an over worry about what people think about you. And so, you stress trying to keep up with all of these different versions of you. The third one, you like and you don't like where you are. You've got these different friend groups, that's cool, but at the same time, later in the day, you spend your evenings consumed with replaying every conversation you had. You start replaying, oh man, what did I tell them? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, oh man, that other con- You're replaying the conversations, replaying the interactions, replaying what they thought about you. And you, you have trouble even making decisions when you're with people because you're, you're so concerned about what they think. And it leads to that worst case scenario that every husband and wife really doesn't like. You know, we're sitting in the car. Where do you want to go eat, honey? I don't know. Where do you want to go? You know, that moment. But it's like that in a crowd. You get in a group of people and you really have an opinion but they want you to make a decision, and you won't because you don't want to be rejected. You don't want to look bad in front of the group. You end up with this low-level resentment for people in general. You don't even know why, but where it comes from is your frustration with trying to please everybody, and you can't get enough of the likes. You can't get enough of the nods. You can't get enough of the laughter, and it becomes like this addictive drug that you're just pursuing. I gotta have it. I got to have more of that laughter. I got to have more of this acceptance. I got to have more of what's this praise that comes from these people and you find yourself worn out because of you're trying to be so many different things and you like where you are and you don't like where you are. The fourth one is you end up being driven by fear. Much of life becomes this decision process made by I don't want to cause pain here, hurt this person's feelings, make them think less of me. And so fear becomes the way you actually make decisions. You have difficulty saying no. You over-worry. You over-worry about work and what people think about you. You over-worry about family and what everybody else is thinking about you. You have difficulty enjoying social interactions. And you sure don't want to have to come in contact with any... Correction or criticism. That is a necessary part of life, but for the people pleaser, coming in in contact with correction or criticism is devastating. It hurts the worst because you feel like you've just disappointed where your ultimate acceptance comes from. The fifth one is, you start to lose sight of the real you. You're so focused on what everybody else is thinking about you and these different versions of you that you're really not even sure which one is the real you anymore. You struggle with what is your core. Who are you? Which one is you? What you used to hold on to as convictions, things that you've said, I will never do this, all of a sudden become conveniences. Convictions slip to conveniences because you don't want to cause people to not like you, so you just give in. You give up what God had called you to. Even events like this, Become difficult. Experiences with God become difficult because you're not sure who you really even are. And you want to have a focus on Him, but you're too worried about them. You want to be able to give Him your full focus, but you can't help but knowing everybody else is here. Worship's hard. Being honest is hard. Sitting in a small group is off the page. We don't even do that. Because that would mean possibly getting into a group, saying something about your life, revealing some things about maybe how things are going that could really just be the end of you, you think. Turns out it's where your life really is. I don't know what your perception is of small groups. If you think it's just people sitting around you know, sharing all of their messy sins and everybody crying and, you know, feeling sorry for you and all of that. That's not what small groups are. At least they're not here at Vertical. Small groups at Vertical are groups where we get together and we laugh, we talk, we eat, we have a great time. We talk about what God's doing in our life. And we provide a space of real grace. Grace. If you want to talk about what God's doing in your life, we encourage it. If you're not ready to, just listen. Just be a part. Just take in what God's doing. But come be a learner. We're not there just to complain about life. We're there to seek answers and hope. People pleasers struggle with anything like that because they're too afraid of what someone might think They're obsessed about their appearance, about what they drive, about what they live or where they live and how much money they make. And the very thing that they thought they were going to get in trying to please people. If I could just make this group happy, I think I'd feel more secure. If I could just make this group happy, I'd feel better about myself. If I could just make this group happy, I feel like I could fit in. Every one of those is someone seeking for security. Give me some kind of stable point in my life. And when you pursue that by trying to please people, what you end up doing is confirming what Scripture said. The fear of man is a snare, a trap. The fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 29. You end up finding that the thing you pursued is the thing you actually do not get. You thought that by listening to what people thought about you and trying to make them happy, you'd feel more secure. But at the end of the day, you feel less secure about your life. You feel more burdened in not fitting in. You feel more anxiety instead. But the thing I'm grateful for is that this is not the end of the verse. You notice when I put a verse up here, the reference, I'll put a little like A at the bottom. See that? You probably think, why does he do that? (laughs) It's because that's just part of the verse. It's the first part, A. The good news here is there's a second part to this verse. Proverbs 29, 25 says this in B. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Safe, secure. If you try to please people... You find yourself in a trap that's deadly. Man, I did that. I did it when I was in high school. I was a guy who wanted to make people laugh. I was a guy that worked on my repertoire of jokes and puns. But back then, they weren't always so nice. I knew how to staying with them, I know how to go dark with them, off color, terrible places. And when I went down that path, I found myself getting more likes from people, laughs from people. And it does something to you, it's like, oh, whoa, really, okay, I can do some more of that. And soon, I was doing more of that. But then I found out the ones that I had kind of become accustomed to, my joke level, weren't enough to get more laughs. So I had to go more weird with them, more off-color, more cruel. And I found a new level of laughter and acceptance. And I found myself going down a path that took me into some bad places, with some wrong groups, tempted by some stuff that I never imagined I'd be led into, and then eventually even falling in those places. The fear of what people thought became to me a trap, and I fell into it. It wouldn't be until after my senior year that I would hear the gospel for really the first time. It wouldn't be until then that I would understand something about my acceptance is not about what people think about me. My acceptance has been won in what God thinks about me through Jesus. And I put my faith in him, I was baptized, and I began to walk with him. And the strangest thing happened. You would think people would rush to your side, be your friend, because you had followed what God had wanted for you. That didn't happen. In fact, friends walked away, friends left, didn't want to hang out, and I found myself with a smaller group. Sometimes with just me. But what I found was a place of security in here that was greater than what anything in the crowd ever offered me. I found a place of hope and peace even when I was alone. I found a place of stability and confidence even when people rejected me, even when people mocked me, even when people turned away from me. There was something inside that gave me a greater sense of security in knowing I am loved by the God who created this universe. I am forgiven because of what he did for me. I have been chosen by him, by his design, and by trusting in him, it gave me peace. It brought me to a place security and this truth became a reality for me. The one who trusts in the Lord, he will be safe. Now, I wish I could tell you I had that struggle back in 1981 and 82 and it was over. Didn't work that way. That became the first victory of many other battles and victories I would have to face again And again and again. But I have found God to be faithful and true every time along the way when I'll be willing to do what He says and not what the crowd says. So, this morning, you may be listening to all of this. You may be like Heather's dad who said, You know, I think I've got some honeysuckle in the backyard that's taken over my fence. You might say, I've got some uh, people pleasing vines that have taken over my heart, I've all of a sudden found myself in some places I never thought I'd be. I found myself weak, insecure, fearful, and controlled by what others think. If that's where you find yourself today, there's good news. Whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. And God himself is a wise gardener who knows how to come into our hearts and clear out what has overtaken us, what is choking us. So what I'm doing today and what I would invite you to do is say, God, would you clean out of my life whatever is keeping me from trusting you completely. I don't want to live my life in fear of what others think. I want to live my life seeking to please you only. I don't want to please the crowd. I don't want there to be five versions of me. I want there to be one version of me, and it's the version you say I am. And you say I'm loved. You say I am yours. You say I'm forgiven. You say I'm righteous. You say I'm called. You say I'm chosen. You say I have peace. I want that to be the only version of me there is. And I walk into work that's who I am. I walk into my home, that's who I am. I walk into school, that's who I am. I walk into my friend's house, that's who I am. I'm the same regardless, I'm what God's called me to be and that's where my security is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me today as we pray? Father, I know you're working in our hearts because your word tells us that you do. I know you are working to remove the distractions and cares of this world and the things that keep us from growing up in you and having you grow in our life. So today, Lord, I would ask that you would do your work, remove the weeds, the vines, the distractions, the things that have overtaken us so that we might have you alone as our focus that we would trust in what you say about us and no one else. We wouldn't look to what the crowd says or what people think. We wouldn't try to be so many different things to so many different people, but that we would be the one thing you say that we are, and that is yours. So, Father, we submit to you today clear our hearts, remove the vines. We will put our focus completely on you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Man, what an incredible message from Pastor Brian. There's so much to learn in a message like that. And it was so great to see everyone take in the knowledge and to take in the word. We'll see you next week at 10.30.